0: Hey, good Wednesday afternoon to you guys. Gabe D'Armond here in the uh, Columbia Bureau, Mitchell Forty, on the other end of an internet connection, also actually in Columbia for right now. We've got the uh, 573 report coming your way this afternoon. That is brought to you by 573Ts and 573Ts.com here in Columbia. I'm actually wearing 573Ts merchandise. See if I lean back. They made those for us. That's called uh, marketing or cross-promotion or something like that. I don't know, but... Um, you can get those shirts, actually, if you go to 573tees.com slash collections slash Power Mizzou. You can also get a lot of other things uh, over there, mostly, you know, tees because that's what they make, but uh, visors and, uh, and, and plenty of uh, clothing and apparel items. Mizzou, uh, State of Missouri, Power Mizzou, whatever you want. Uh, go check them out, 573tees.com. I was actually down in the shop on Saturday And uh, they said it's the uh, busiest two weeks they've ever had. So you guys are doing good things. Keep doing it. Uh, Keep helping out our sponsors and the people who make these shows possible. Mitchell Forty joining me now. And um, Mitch, I hope you are ready to break down the two deep uh, for SEMO at offensive and defensive line.
1: Yeah, obviously, you know, been staying up all night, getting filmed on the the football black market of the FCS. You know, <laughs> studying the ins and outs of the uh the Semo Red Hawks. Red Hawks. That's it. So yeah. there we go. Yeah.
0: Here's here's what I learned about Semo. All of this directly from Eli Drinkwitz. In three years, they have blocked twelve kicks. Also, they do a lot of fake punts. I. That's the extent. I don't know. If they are different fake punts, I don't know how many. I just know that they have done fake punts in the in the past.
1: And, and we should add that none of that is actually fact-checked. I mean, we're just taking his word <laughs> <Right>. for it.
0: <laughs> Could be. It is possible they have never in the history of the program run a fake punt. I have no idea. Um, I'm tired of talking about SEMO. That's all I got.
1: Uh, you, yeah, anything else same. you want to say? Um I mean, no, like just uh, the only stat I will throw out there just to reinforce if some people are actually going to be like, oh, I don't know. You never know. The other team could always win. Mizzou has played uh, in the last 14 games with the FCS team since FCS became a team. They're 14 and None of the games have ever been decided by less than 20 points. The average margin victory, I think, was like 42 point something. And their last three games against SEMO have been a combined 136-6. to Yeah, They could name the score.
0: All those those numbers include inexplicably giving up 43 points to Missouri State one time. So um, it's actually likely to be worse than that. So uh, all due respect to SEMO, I'm glad they can continue to run their athletic department for another year. But um, I got no interest in this game. So uh, there's a couple different directions we can go, but we're going to start where the people want to start. And that is... uh, Shaw and Burden. Um, so I'm assuming we're talking Aiden Shaw and Luther Burden here. Um, Aiden Shaw, a basketball player from Blue Valley, six uh, eight, number fifty seven in the country, I believe, is making a decision on Friday. Um, it is sometime between ten a.m. and eleven thirty. We don't know exactly, you know, what what time zone's being quoted here, but he will make a decision Friday morning and by all indications um missouri is in solid shape in that decision we we don't like, yeah. we haven't been told nobody's sure yet but right no there's um, you know no
1: one has, has come out and told me you know it, it's a done deal in Charlotte, Missouri. although i'm not sure i would tell you all if they had but right. it, it really really, really truly believe me no one has um you know he has i, I forget what his top uh, five or six schools are right now Oklahoma State Kansas Missouri yeah, Iowa, Iowa and Arkansas uh, and, and Maryland Arkansas and Maryland that's it um we think it, it really kind of came down to Missouri Kansas and Oklahoma State um I, I would be surprised if he was to take it Kansas right now we'll see um I, I feel good about Missouri's chances uh, that's a long-winded way of saying that um you know I I think Mizzou uh is is uh is going to end up landing him yeah
0: and Look, this is a big deal. This would be Conzo Martin's highest rated commit since the class of, you know, Porter, Porter and Tillman when Jeremiah was number 45 and he was actually the the third highest rated kid in that class. But um this is this is the kind of guy that Missouri fans have been asking Conzo Martin to go get, right? I mean, hey, yeah, the transfers are nice, the diamonds in the rough rough are nice, but Let's go see you get a top 100 kid because Power 5 programs should be getting top 100 kids. And this is a top 100 kid.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I definitely think there's reason for you know excitement about Shaw. He's uh, you know a local kid too. You know, obviously not within the state, but very close, just over the uh, the border in Kansas. Um, you know, he's a kid in Missouri. Clearly identified early. They offered him, and gosh, I don't like January of 2020 or something like that. Um, so you know, they he was a, a very early target in this class, and so you know, got him do- got it done. Um, he fits kind of the mold of what Conzo Martin's looking for. Long, can play multiple positions. Very good defender. You know. Can guard one through five. I will say though, I think you know the because Missouri fans have not been used to getting you know these top one hundred kids in basketball over the last few years, and you know because of, of some of the offers that Aiden Shaw has, I do think expectations may have been may have started to get a little bit high for him. And now I, I should preface by saying he hasn't even played his senior season of high school yet. Right. He could get better, obviously, but I think as of right now, you're not looking at a kid who's expected to come in and play thirty minutes a game and you know put Missouri's team on its back and lead him to a sweet. Season or something like that I think he's a kid who's widely regarded as a really good athlete who has a really high ceiling and who will probably play some because he can defend but he's going to need some time to develop his skill
0: hey I had somebody tell me today they thought reasonable expectations were like six and four his freshman year which is like that's good people yeah people get these these ideas in their head that you know as a freshman you should come in and average 10 and 8 like A lot of dudes don't average 10 and 8 as juniors. Um, And this is actually the – this is exactly where I think Missouri should live in basketball recruiting. Like, the top 15 kids are going to the places that make strong-ass offers. I mean, we all know that. They're going to the same places that they've always gone, and I don't think NIL or a lot of stuff is going to change that. Now, look, you get – every now and then you get a Michael Porter situation or – I, you know, some other top five kid who's gone to a place where, where top five kids don't usually go. But the general rule is that level of kid that the the kids that wouldn't be in college, except that they kind of have to be right now, are either going to the G League or they're going to one of about six schools. But that next wave, that's where Missouri should live and hasn't lived. From like 25 to 85, those kids who, the truth of the matter is, if you're the, even if you're the 30th ranked player in the country, you're maybe not necessarily coming into a high major team and starting and scoring double figures. Like, that's not how basketball always works. There are some of them, but those guys are generally ranked a, a little bit higher. So this is exactly the type of kid. He, he's going to be here a minimum of three years, and if he's not, it means he's gotten so much better that your program is better for having him. But I, I think the critics of Conzo Martin's recruiting – have not been saying we need top 10 kids. They've been saying we need Aiden Shaw. That's the type of kid. And then go get two more Aiden Shaw's to join him. And that's a really good class.
1: Right. Yeah. You hit it there at the end of what I was going to say is that, you know, yeah, Aiden Shaw, obviously a really good pickup for all the reasons we just mentioned. He can't be it. You know, you gotta get some more guys that can work. And, and you can do some of that through the transfer portal. And you know, we'll see what, what these transfers who they you know added ended up looking like. Um, you know, and that is a very viable path forward for a school like Missouri that's not gonna land super highly rated kids out of high school all the time. But there needs to be some. And you know, hope you you hope for one or two basically every year of the you know, top one hundred, top one fifty type kids who have the upside who, you know, maybe have some of the tools but just need to develop skill or something like that. And I think, you know, Yaya Kita is also kind of a similar example but you you need more of those guys right you
0: put him put those guys with Anton Brookshire and Trevon Brazil who look I I don't remember where those guys were rated but they are high school prospects right and then you sprinkle in like the last two classes is kind of the the path forward for Missouri getting back to Missouri fans where Missouri fans want whether it will work or not I have no idea like I don't know if Aiden Shaw is going to score two points or 22 points a game I'm just saying this is for those who have been critical, uh, you know, this is it. And we're now to the point where I never again want to talk about 2014 to 16. It's over. It's We're five years away from it. This is his program. He's built it. He's recruiting the way he recruits. It, it, and whatever he does going forward has absolutely nothing to do anymore with the guy who was here before him.
1: Right. And the only reason I think we end up talking about Kim Anderson is because the, the people on the two extremes are so loud, which is, you know, obviously something we see all the time. It's like, you fortunately, know, the it's are like, only oh that gosh, we have to fire him immediately. And then the people who respond say, well, that's probably not very likely. You know, he did take over this terrible situation. Like, we don't need to, to talk about either of those things. He's not getting fired after this year unless right. things totally implode or there's some sort of scandal off the court, which seems very unlikely if you know Konzo. And he's also not still, you know, working with Kim Anderson players digging out of the Kim Anderson hole. Like. Like, this is, you know, this is Conzo's team. Uh, you know, he, he totally remade it. He brought in basically all of his own guys during the offseason. We'll see how it goes.
0: Well, fortunately, sports is the only place where the two extremes are really loud and the middle gets ignored. So, uh, so um, okay, so the other thing that everybody wants to talk about um, is Luther Burden. Um, he is announcing a top three on Friday. It will be, as Sean and I talked about yesterday, it will be Missouri and Georgia and it will either be oklahoma or alabama i don't know who the third one's going to be and i really don't think it matters who the third one is going to be
1: yeah yeah i mean that's consistent with everything we've heard um you know i i don't know could could be semo could sneak in there (laughs) that would be surprising that would be a victory for semo just from a publicity standpoint i don't know recruitments like this like You know, it's interesting because there can be, things can be factually right and then end up not coming true. Like if they're, you know, If for some reason something happened where he ended up not committing to Missouri, there could be a lot of people who said he's going to commit to Missouri who could have been right at the time that he was absolutely favoring Missouri, but things could change. So I think that's why, you know, you can never uh, be sure of anything until the announcement is made public or the ink is dry. And in this case, with the announcement becoming before signing day, you know, it is always going to be something to keep an eye on until uh, an NLI is signed.
0: Right. And to give credit uh, where it's due, Frank Cusimano tweeted last night um, that, luther would make an announcement on october 20th which is five weeks from today at east st louis high school now i have not seen luther retweet that i have not seen luther confirm that but i know frank knows plenty of people in st louis and knows the family so i'm assuming frank did not just kind of come up with that date i'm I'm assuming that that date is is accurate now look it is 35 days away and we've all seen plenty of times a Mm, change of plans, not going to be October 20th anymore. But for now, we are thinking we're five weeks away from at least the public end of this thing
1: right yeah and so um, yeah obviously things can change between now and then but um you know yeah. it seems, seems like, like missouri, missouri and it's uh you know, know people in st louis you feel pretty good, good about him sticking around with the home state, state school. school but like i said nothing is a done deal
0: right and so there are uh there are definite reasons to feel good about that and we will if he does indeed announce on october 20th like we're already talking we're 100 percent going to be there we I, I I've not tried to do anything live from East Saint Louis High School. I can't tell you what the internet situation is there and and how possible that is and that's not a statement about East Saint Louis High School. That is a statement about every high school I've ever been to. Like you just never know until you walk in the door. But if we can do something from there, we we absolutely will, but either way we would uh we'll go and and cover the announcement unless for some reason somebody tells us in, you know, the 48 hours before yeah, you probably don't need to drive over there for that, then uh, then maybe maybe that'll kind of tip you guys off. But, uh, uh, but that's where Yeah, what and right also, I want to say this about Luther Burton, like, you yeah,
1: know, I don't I want, want to annoy him, me. and I think probably, no matter what, he's going to have fairly unrealistic expectations. Yes. But when I was watching Wandale Robinson the other night, I, it did cross my mind, like, man, if Luther Burden could be that for Missouri, that w- that would be big. Because we talked about on Monday, Mizzou didn't have that game breaker at receiver, that guy who you can either send down the field and he's going to make a play, or you can get him the ball in his hands as a punt returner, as a guy on a jet sweep or whatever, and he can make people miss, he can break tackles, he can make a big play happen out of a low risk, you know, type of touch. So I, I mean, I, you know, I I'm not saying that's who he is going to be for sure. I definitely am yeah, not I'm saying that's who he's going to be as a freshman, freshman. But I don't think that's like some insane bar. bar. Like, like there, there are people are saying, you know, oh he's A.J. Brown, you know he's Jeremy Macklin. Whatever, like Wanda Robinson's a very good college player, and if he could be that, I think that would be huge for Missouri.
0: Yeah, and you know, here's the other thing: like we were talking about the the basketball rankings, right? And how Aiden Shaw maybe isn't that kid who who the day he sets foot on campus. Well, Luther Burden is the number six player in the country. He is that. Like that is the expectation of that level of recruit. I mean, I'm I'm trying to get my internet to to run simultaneously here so i can look up some of the previous number one receivers in the country i mean obviously Doriel green beckham and he had i think a little bit of an underwhelming uh you know true freshman season um the number one receiver in the country last year was julian fleming he has caught a couple passes at ohio state now the difference is there he is behind chris olave and Garrett Wilson the top two pro prospects in the country and Jackson Smith and Jigbo who had 100 yards last week so he is walking into a different wide receiver room but by the way Smith and Jigbo was number four in that class so he had 100 yards in his second college game against Oregon um, number four wide receiver if we go back to 2019 uh, the number one receiver in the country was Jaden Hazelwood, who went to Oklahoma. I don't frankly know about, a lot about him. But number two was George Pickens, who went to Georgia. And we saw what George Pickens did to Missouri last year. So while I agree expectations are going to be a little unrealistic, I don't know that, that crazy high expectations are unfair. Because when you are ranked the number six player in the country, that is the type of player that, that people expect you to be.
1: Yeah. No, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, like I'm just saying, I, I do think that there is a sense of people thinking like, Oh my gosh, get Luther Burton and Mizzou's go into the, you know, go into the playoff right. or something yeah. like that. And without it expanding, and even if it does expand that it's, it's going to take more than just that.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's uh there's 22 guys on the field and I can't name a receiver that I legitimately thought, well, he took that team from like mediocre to elite, not, not by himself. Right. Somebody got right. thrown, For the sure. ball, you know, um, but it, Certainly, the excitement is warranted. We understand um, why everybody is excited about the announcement. And, hey, there's only 35 more days to hype it up. So uh, we can promise we will do that. We'll have four more 573 reports to talk about Luther Burden uh, before he makes some sort of an announcement. And we'll also have four more uh, Wednesdays to tell you guys to go down to 573 T's there in Alley A, just between 9th and 10th Street in Columbia, if you want to go to the actual physical location. And pretty much uh, somebody's there all the time. Uh, but if you want to do it online, a lot of people would prefer that, 573 um, dot com. You go there, you can get um, a shirt like the one I'm wearing. You can't have the one I'm actually wearing, but you can have one very similar to it. You can also have plenty of other uh, Mizzou gear and uh, – and plenty of stuff that that they have they uh they do a great job excellent customer service it's uh it, it's truly a small local business and they're going to take care of you guys tell them uh tell them you're down there because you watch the show or because you're on power mizzou and that's where you heard about them and that'll be good for everybody uh so not good for everybody mitch missouri's run defense um not not great bob you know uh, i don't think yeah. eli drinkwitz or steve wilkes are huge fans of it either
1: yeah, no, I mean, like, you know, obviously they weren't going to come in. You would hope they weren't going to come in and try to defend it. I mean, Missouri is literally last in the country among Power Five teams that run defense. they last in total defense. Would it be going um, too know,
0: far to say they haven't defended anything else,
1: really? Yeah, I okay. mean, like, yeah, it hasn't. It hasn't gone super well. Right. So, um, you know, it, it basically. I mean, you know, the the questions we wanted to ask, I think, yesterday, you know, of, of Eli Drinkwitz and Steve Wilkes, is just like. What what kind of are the problems and how fixable are they? And part of it is, you know, in a setting like that, coaches can't be completely honest and they can't say, well, look, we don't have good enough players, you know, because they they have who they have and they, they can't, you know, <laughs> I mean, they're not going to throw those guys under the bus. There's no free agent market, no waiver wire, room, so.
0: no trades.
1: Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, Steve Wilkes basically said, look, it's it's on me. Um, I accept full responsibility. And and there are a few things, I think, from a scheme perspective that can be fixed. I mean, he mentioned, you know, on the second play from scrimmage, Mizzou had five defensive linemen in the game. They, they thought Kentucky was opening in a jumbo package. Put in five defense alignment for the first two snaps and one robinson took that jet sweep 68 yards or whatever that's a scheme thing you know he mentioned he's he's going to try to go up to the box to uh, try to get play calls in quicker maybe that helps a little bit he talked a little bit that you asked the question about simplifying the scheme a little bit so that people can play a little bit faster maybe that helps and and you know there were some adjustments made in the second halves of both of these two games that make you say okay maybe it, it's not as you know as bad as as we've seen it at its worst but i thought eli Drinkwitz hinted at the real problem Problem, even without saying it, like I said, he couldn't, but he came kind of close yeah. and he basically said, we need some guys to step up and play better. Mm-hmm. You know, he said, we want to play more guys at linebackers, but the guys you're seeing are the only guys that are shown us. They can do it in, even at all in practice. You know, he said at a certain point, you got to get off blocks. You got to fill gaps. You got to make tackles like no scheme is going to work if those two things don't work. So, uh, you know, I think that's probably the bigger issue. Um, and, and yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how the guys respond to that.
0: Yeah, I want to get back to some of the comments in a minute, but but Colby asked, and you mentioned it, Steve Wilkes moving up to the press box. Is that Drinkwitz telling him to, or is that Wilkes' call? First of all, I think it's probably Wilkes' call because, like, you know, he's been an NFL head coach. He is basically the head coach of the defense. Eli yeah. focuses 90 90- of his time on the offense. He lets Steve Wilkes handle the defense. But also, I just want to say, and I want to be clear, Colby, this is not like taking a shot at your question or anything. Every coach who's ever coached from the sideline thinks he's going to do a better job in the press box, and every coach who's ever coached in the press box thinks he's going to do a better job from the sideline. And you know the coaches who do the better jobs? The ones that have the best players. Like Nick Saban would win games coaching on Zoom right now. You know, so I just, I really think where the offensive and defensive coordinators sit is perhaps the most overrated thing in football.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you know, the only reason I brought it up is because he mentioned it yesterday. Um, And so, yeah, I I don't think that's going to magically fix everything. You know, maybe it, I don't know, maybe it helps, like he said, get the play calls in quicker or whatever. And maybe that, that you know, saves a big player, too. But, yeah, no, I think that is, you know, fr- relatively far I, down the list in terms of remedies.
0: Well, here's what I think it mostly does. I think if Steve Wilkes is the guy up in the box and they've got the wrong personnel on the field, nobody else gets in trouble for that. That's Steve Wilkes. Yeah. He misidentified mm-hmm. the package. It wasn't a GA or the defensive line coach. Or, I have no idea who it was, but... You know, there is no other responsibility. That was his responsibility. So, I think that's a good thing. Um, but, you know, I thought they were – I thought Drinkwitz and Wilkes were relatively forthcoming yesterday. And, um, you know, like I also think yesterday is is a day – so often after losses, we hear the complaint, well, nobody asks the hard question. No, the, those questions were asked yesterday and they were answered. And the coaches were not unhappy. They knew they were coming. Um, I thought – not only the 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 part about you know we just don't have enough uh linebackers that are practicing well but I mean he was asked a question about one of his starting linebackers and like if you paused that long on a phone call before you answered the other person would assume you had hung up on them
1: so yeah,
0: he's not there.
1: Yeah, no, that's yeah, the the question was about Blaze Aldrich, and yeah, he, he basically just said uh he's been productive. And, the num- uh, the numbers and good and to, say to, to Blaze Aldrich's credit. You know, we talked to him later in the afternoon. First of all, Glad he did the interview because you know I'm sure he knew that some of the questions were going to be very pleasant, and he said at one point like, you know, I apologize, I, I can play better, I need to play better, and, and that's a hard thing to get up there and do. So I'm not trying to bag on him by any means, but yeah, I mean it, it's pretty clear that uh, the that, that drink wants a little more out of those guys.
0: Yeah, and and look, like you said, can they simplify the scheme? I'm sure probably they can, and that might fix some of the things. But the bottom line here is, I. A lot of times coaches say, well, these problems are all fixable. Well, yes, theoretically, you, missing tackles is fixable. Going to the wrong gap is fixable. Overrunning plays is fixable. But you know the players that fix those things? Players that are better and generally don't make those mistakes. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm really not even trying to be funny, but like, you know if you see a receiver drop a pass every week and the coach keeps saying that's fixable, well, the best fix would be if he were a better receiver and he actually (laughs) caught the passes. I mean, you know, it's not like, I, I really don't think there's a lot of, well, because we practiced an extra 10 minutes on this on Tuesday, it didn't, like, I don't think it's that they don't know what to do or they don't know what the coaches want them to do or theoretically how to do it. I think it is more of a, physically they simply don't have enough guys that are capable of doing it right now because people have asked about scheme changes on the defensive line well defensive line is really about just beating the guy across from you for the most part Missouri's problem up front right now is they don't have enough guys that are better than the guys they are standing across from and Mm -hmm. I don't know how you get those guys until next year
1: Right, yeah. It's, I think there's, a, to a degree, there's some things you can do. You know, I'm sure, and, and we've seen it in the same house, you know, there's there's things you can do to mask the problems. And I think Steve Wilkes is still figuring out what the problems are because he hadn't seen these guys except against Missouri's offensive line, which doesn't look amazing. Um, you <laughs> know, and even that was limited, you know, not full contact. So I'm, I'm sure, you know, there's ways to mask it. But yes, ultimately, you know, if, if, and, and this is exactly what we said Monday, ultimately, you know, the only way to compete with an elite offensive line like Kentucky's or some of the better teams in the SEC is going to be get better players, and that is not something you can do midseason unless you believe that you know Eli Drinkwitz has been uh, keeping you know stashing a bunch of secret guys on his bench. Although he did say yesterday, I'm, "I'm not doing that." He said, "I'd like to not run for 300, or not like to not allow the opponent to run for 340 yards." Right, um, <laughs> ranking.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I I can't remember if if this was you and me talking on one of the shows we did or maybe privately or somebody else. I I do enough of these shows now that, honestly, I don't know what I say on the Internet and what I just say in my regular life. But I I think it is easier to scheme around talent deficiency on offense than it is on defense because there are things you can do with misdirection and with formations and – playing to a player's certain strength. But offense is, is forcing someone else to react. On defense, you are reacting to what they do. And so it's kind of hard to scheme around that. I mean, whether you run a... You know, Missouri could have run a nine-one-one on on Saturday night, and I'm not sure that's, they were I think tackling Chris I think Rodriguez. That's what that Steve Wilkes
1: was calling. He was calling nine-one-one. <laughs> that,
0: right, that is what they ran. Yeah, but but uh, nine defensive linemen may not have stopped Chris Rodriguez in that game. Um, so, I, I guess that's my point: is offensively, an elite play caller, I think can take. I mean, look at Mike Leach's whole career, right? He can take relatively average talent and make it significantly better. I don't really know how possible that is on defense on a week-to-week basis.
1: Yeah, I agree, especially when you're talking about up front, I think, you know, because it's just, I mean, you know, the the, the raw physicality of it, there's just not that many tricks you can do. I mean, you can blitz, you know, you can run stunts, but there's there's pretty easy and tried and true ways for an offense to beat that so yeah i i tend to agree you know it's probably not what missouri fans exactly want to hear but this is not suddenly going to have be a mid-season turnaround where this is a, a top half of the sec defense or anything like that it i think also, it's gonna i don't think it's gonna be the worst in the right. country but i don't think it's getting a lot better anytime soon that's what i was gonna
0: say it is unlikely to be the worst power five defense in america by the end of the season um so i, I kind of want to wrap up on this did and my answer on this might actually be different than it was on Sunday morning. Did Saturday night change your overall outlook and opinion on the season?
1: Uh not drastically. Um, you know, I mean I I I, I think it, it maybe lowered optimism a little bit. I still like you know, I know what you're gonna say, you know, you come into this season thinking Kentucky was a loss, and it was, and they only lost by a touchdown. And so in that sense, it's like, no, you know, I I still think they can win um, you know, I, I picked him to win seven games with a loss to Kentucky and have a chance to possibly win eight, even with a loss to Kentucky. So I still think those things are on the table. I, I do think that, you know, now all of a sudden, I think maybe six games, six wins is probably more likely than eight. I still think seven is what I would pick. But like, if you had to t- have had to have me pick a second most likely outcome, it would probably be six instead of eight, just because like you said, it's we're. We're seeing issues that aren't just growing pains with the scheme. We're seeing things that are hard to fix. Now, I and, you know, also, I mean, like an Arkansas game that I initially thought it was a win. Maybe not. Now, that's a long way away. And also, so many things can happen. Like, all of a sudden, Boston College looks a lot more winnable. It's, a, you know, their, their starting quarterback's not going to play. Um, you know, the Tennessee game, uh, you know, who knows? They're, they have quarterback issues as well, although the original guy wasn't that good. So, I was going to say that makes him look better or makes it look like a better outcome. It really doesn't. But, yeah. So, in one – I'm kind of split, I guess. This is a boring answer. On one hand, I say no. On the other hand, you know, I'm still I would still say seven's most likely. On the other, I think I would lean towards six being the second most likely instead of eight versus the other way around preseason.
0: Yeah, my my initial thought on Sunday morning, and and I kind of wrote this a little bit on Saturday night, was hey, I picked them to lose to Kentucky and they lost to Kentucky. And so why is this anything that we didn't expect? But then the more I thought about it, first of all. They are plus three in turnovers this year. Mm-hmm. If they are even in turnovers, they are probably 0-2 with about a 24-point loss at Kentucky. I I mean I really yeah. think they had a fumble on the one. They had another turnover that I think they turned into a a, a touchdown. And so and, and then at Central Michigan, they were plus two, and those were a big deal when they happened. So they are I think not as good as the scoreboard said they were on in the first two weeks is, is what I'm saying. And if you – there are certain ways that you lose that you say, okay, hey, that can happen. But if the way you are losing is the other team is handing the ball off and running for six and a half yards every carry right up the middle largely on the same plays, that now makes me think – I mean, Tennessee probably has a guy that can do that. South Carolina probably has a guy that can do that. Arkansas probably has a guy that can do that. So I'm not saying those are losses. I'm just saying that if my confidence, if before the season you had asked me, okay, BC, Tennessee, Arkansas, South Carolina, how many do they win? I'd have said minimum three and one. And now I'm not as sure that's true. Um, Now, I I think two and two is not out of the question in those games. Um, I think they probably will go at least two and two, but two and two is now on the table, which brings into to the discussion that six and six that you were talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I don't want to overreact too much to early in the season because that's what everyone does. And I, and I often, often make fun, fun of people for it, you know, who suddenly they're saying, oh, this is a four-win team. Like, I don't think so. But yes, I do think that you have to take a look at the fact, and I mentioned this after week one, like that game, you know, Mizzou being plus two in the journal for margin, if they're not, that that is a, a very a very tight game if not a loss and this one they were not you know I mean they just weren't the better team like you said like you know and they, I, I don't and know they were the worst team I, I by I more than seven like points. the S P p plus or whatever Bill C does but yeah. I know that like you know he does like a predicted outcome based I would predict I would guess that his predicted outcome for the Mizzou Kentucky game was like 21 points
0: I would say at least 14 yeah no question yeah. um but Hey, who knows? You know, every week is, is different. I know I know they're going to win this weekend. I know they're not going to beat Georgia, almost certainly. Those are the two things I know about the rest of the season. And that's about it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I feel uh, like, I like, I mean, gosh, gosh if, if, if we, we can't, can't call
0: Vanderbilt a win, like, like, like
1: yeah. the things have really
0: gone off the rails. Yeah. That team yeah. is bad. They are bad. Um, need to get Colorado State on the schedule, apparently. And, yeah. And avoid East Tennessee. The Buccaneers oh, got watch a, out. They got a tough unit down there. And uh, hey, Mizzou knows
1: all around. about it? They would have been one of the one of the teams on the list. The, the list of the seven teams, the uh, FCS teams that beat FBS teams that we heard all about yesterday.
0: That's right. That's right. Uh, look, it's not going to happen this weekend, but uh, whatever. So, um, I don't know anything else, man. I feel like we covered it all.
1: Yeah. No, I was saying, you know, don't overreact to one loss or whatever. Like if, if, they, if it were to happen this week, yeah, I've absolutely Over, shut down the program. Fire everyone. Yeah. Divert the money to men swimming. <laughs>
0: There's no such thing as overreacting to a loss this weekend. However, I also do think it's worth saying if they win 59 to nothing and Simo has 12 yards rushing, I don't care. That doesn't mean the defense is fixed. If you write that, I will delete it, and you will not be allowed to write the following week. So, Actually, actually that that's not true. You me. will write I might, write do, I might do that on purpose. <laughs> you, you will write double the following week. Let me change that. Okay. So. Dang. All right. Uh, thanks, Mitch. We'll see you in a couple hours over at interviews. So, uh, thank you guys also for uh joining in and watching us here. And you can do that pretty much every day. Um, we will not have a show tomorrow because look, we're not doing an in depth opponent breakdown of Simo, which is what we usually do on Thursdays. Uh, we will be back. I'll be back on the pick show on Friday with Tim McKernan this week as the special uh. Guest gambler, so uh, join us then. I think we're we're uh, I, I can't remember what time we're going to air it on Friday, but you'll be able to see that on the site on Friday. Semo uh, game 11 a.m. We'll have pregame, postgame. Mitch and Joel will be over at the stadium. And thanks for watching. Thanks to 573 T's. Go check them out at 573tees.com. If you go there in person, make sure to tell them you heard about it on Power Mizzou. So uh, thanks to everybody. We'll talk to you later.